Hey gang, it's Andrea. Today, we spent five minutes talking about The Office. Another five minutes talking about Ghostbusters, because just about anything is better than this pointless episode. Stay tuned. Welcome to the TNG Podcast, the number one place in the Alpha Quadrant to geek out about all things Star Trek The Next Generation. I'm your co-host, Sharice. Hey, I'm your co-host, Andrea. Sharice, today we are talking Season 3, Episode 23, Sarek, which I feel like is kind of a departure from last week's episode, The Most Toys, which was super fun. Mm-hmm. This one is super not, not fun. Yeah. No, definitely. <laughs> this episode was written by Mark Cushman and Jake Jacobs and directed by Les Landau. Here is the plot synopsis that I have written. (laughs) Violent emotions sweep the Enterprise when Ambassador Sarek comes aboard to finish a long diplomatic mission. The rest is, who cares? (laughs) That's my review. That is the synopsis. That pretty much, that's it. Like, that's what happens. That's it. Um, So so my initial thoughts when I started watching this episode is I thought, oh, here comes a mountain of suck. But then I also thought, like, because I always skip this episode because I remember it's the one where Sarek's emotions get dumped into Picard and he's all screaming and going crazy, but then everything's good in the end. I don't remember the context, why that happened, when that happened, what the point was, but I do remember that part of the episode, which is why I always skip it. So when we had to watch it, I was like, oh, this is going to suck. It must suck because I always skip it. But then I thought maybe it doesn't because there have been a few episodes of season three that I legitimately don't remember at all. Like I have no memory of them. Yeah. So I was like, maybe it'll be like that where like it doesn't suck as much as I remember, it's just, I haven't watched it over and over. Like, so maybe there's like some hidden gems and let me tell you, I was wrong. This was worth skipping. Just like I thought, like my subconscious <laughs> was, was on point. Spot on. Yeah. I was Spot like, on. girl, what do you mean? There might be some hidden. Gem- okay. I will say though, I know you love a good, crazy Picard and we get really good, crazy Picard. Yes, we do. We do. And that was some good acting, but like so many questions about that. We'll come to it though. What is the name? And we've talked about this event in season one and two, but we haven't had to talk about it in season three because the episodes have been on average, like a plus episodes. Mm -hmm. There is a phrase that we have used for like a plot device that just like something that moves the plot forward, Mm -hmm. but it's not integral to like what's happening in the story. Yeah. A MacGuffin. Yeah. That's the one. Okay. Thank you. See, we threw around the word MacGuffin so much in seasons one and two. <laughs> we haven't had to until, what is this, episode 23? <laughs> until Until now. the end of season three. But this whole, like, yeah. So, uh, Sarek is this um, bigwig diplomat. He's an ambassador. He's Spock's dad. He's a big deal. He's Spock's dad, but it's never mentioned in TNG. Like, they don't talk about that he's Spock's dad. So I'm like, why do we fucking care about this one guy? But anyway, he's this, like, big wig diplomat ambassador. And he is doing this diplomatic uh, mission with this new race of aliens called the Lagarans. We never see them. We -mm. never see their talks. It's Mm -mm. just a giant MacGuffin. It's just Sarek comes aboard He's Vulcan, but he's behaving in a very non-Vulcan way where his emotions are just running away with him, which is welcome to being a human being, buddy. And Mm -hmm. like, that's, that's pretty much it. That's the whole episode. (laughs) So yeah, it wasn't, you know what? I'm going to say you were right to think about giving this one a skip. You were 100% right to be like, well, maybe it might be different. And then you were also 100% right to be like, yeah, it also (laughs) But it's not different. (laughs) Yes. So on that note, let's jump in because I feel like this is, this is going to be a short one. So in in the beginning, when they're walking through the hallway, Riker and Picard are going to go meet ambassador Sarek in the transporter room. 
And they're talking about how great he is and all this stuff, all his accomplishments. Riker learned about him in school. Picard mentions, you know, I've actually met him once and mm-hmm. I was just totally basically starstruck, right? I just yeah. I was so in awe. I was tongue tied. And I just thought this is so funny because here we are in the end of season three. I'm sure he's getting recognized as well as the rest of the cast are getting recognized out in public for their roles in the show. But think about who Sir Patrick Stewart is today. He is Sarek in the sense that people are like, um, um, oh my gosh, um, uh, ni- nice to meet you. Uh, there was a time when, uh, 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 can I get a signature? You know? So I just thought yes. like, oh, this is kind of funny that like Picard is talking about, you know, him being tongue tied when the actor who plays Picard probably experiences, he's on the receiving end of that all the mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. And do you remember we had, um, the actor who plays Garrett Wong, the actor who plays Harry Kim on Voyager yes. was in one of our clubhouse rooms. And he talked about meeting Sir Patrick Stewart. And how he was totally tongue-tied and freaking out. And he was like, oh my gosh, I got to meet him and shake his hand. And he said I was a good actor. And, you know, it's just like, no one's beyond that. And I actually love that. I love watching those celebrity videos on YouTube of like celebrities meeting their celebrity like crushes or people that they totally fan over. It's just so fun. Yeah, I think that's such a human instinct. So I actually love, I love that little part. Um, and then we get to the transporter room and two of Sarek's aides beam in instead of Sarek himself. And they come with this whole, like, here's how this is going down. Yeah. Cancel any special things you have for this man. He's going straight to his quarters. He's going to stay in his room the whole time. Don't talk to us. Don't look at us. Don't think about us. Definitely not the norm because Riker and Picard are kind of looking at each other like, but we but we have a concert planned and like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, a diplomat comes aboard an ambassador and they have like a diplomatic Lots reception. Of fanfare. Mm-hmm. They all look at the fucking wormhole that's for sale. Like all <laughs> the stuff, right? Like <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> Sharice, your face is giving me like, so funny. They all go look at the wormhole that's for sale. You yeah. Know it's, <laughs> it's just, you know, you put on your dress uniform with your little gold piping and you go do the thing stuff. that you do when yeah. ambassador or a diplomat mm-hmm. is on board. And this was very, very not the norm. And by the way, those two aides were so creepy. Yeah. They're I super just, sus. Mm-hmm. Super sus. Yeah. My heebie jeebies alert was like, like as soon as they started talking and they're like, is anything wrong? And they're all like, nothing's wrong now comply with our wishes. You're like, everything oh, is wonderful. Okay. Yes. So yes. they look at each other and they're like, all right, well, you know, and Picard's just like, I, you have my word. He will not be disturbed, which he totally goes back on that word in just a few minutes. Like 10 minutes later. <laughs> <laughs> but here he's yep. like, yes, he will not be disturbed. You have my word. Like, that's fine. So then Sarek beams on board with his with his new wife because um, Spock's mom has already died at this point. So he beams on with his new wife, uh, Perrin, yep. and um, who's also an Earth woman, which I guess he's got a type. Um, and... <laughs> Like why he lives on Vulcan, but anyways, whatever. And so, um, (laughs) they get on and it's really awkward because the first thing Sarek says is I want to see the conference room, the conference room where the negotiations are going to be held. He wants to see it. And, and Picard and Riker are kind of like, uh, do you mean you want to go to your quarters? He's like, no, I want to go to the conference room. And then all the aides are like, sir, you should go to your quarters. And his wife is like, maybe you should go lay down first. And he's like, I want to go to the conference room and we're going right now. See, that kind of thing makes me nervous. And I'm glad that you brought that up because yes, the aides came aboard and they're like, under no circumstances, X, Y, and Z is supposed to right. happen. And Picard's mm-hmm. like, got it. And then ambassador Sarek comes aboard and he's like, I want to do X, Y, and Z. And Picard and Riker are looking at each other and looking at Sarek and then looking at the aides and looking back at each other. And it's <laughs> like, we listen to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
It reminded me very much of The Office when Robert California tells Andy, like, my wife is going to come in in five minutes and ask for a job under no circumstance are you to hire her to work here. And then when the wife does come in, in front of the wife, Robert California is like, surely, Andy, we can find her position somewhere. And Andy's like, uh, <laughs> I'm so sorry, but like, we're fully staffed. And Robert California in front of the wife keeps being like, you must be able to find her position somewhere. And then Andy's like, uh, okay let's go see if there's an opening in accounting. And the wife is like, oh, lovely. And she goes up to accounting and Robert California in behind closed doors is like, what did I tell you? You're not supposed to give her position. It's like, oh, poor Andy. I'm not a fan of Andy on the office, but I felt so bad for him. I was like, what are you? Uh... <laughs> that's that's Man, that the, show's great. That's the cue for me to like climb up to the um, roof and jump off with my parachute and just parachute home. Be like, I'm out of here. Like, you can't just walk out the front door, Andrea. That's like a lot <laughs> for you to leave. I'll go. Through, I'll just take the elevator down to the lobby and head on out the front. Why is here? I'm in my office. You can see through the glass and I'm like, <laughs> like buckling all my buckles on the parachute. Like, on the backpack that you're like base it. jumping from your building when you could just like take the Put elevator on the little to the squirrel lobby. suit so I could just fly home like, <laughs> <laughs> I think I got that idea because at one point Jim gets caught in the middle and he tries to leave <laughs> through the parking lot and Robert California tells security not to let Jim leave so Jim is like halfway <laughs> through the parking lot and security closes the gate on him so he runs out of his car leaves the car running with the front door open and climbs like up to the roof <laughs> <laughs> to try to escape. And all of that is so much more interesting. That's what's happening in this episode right here. Yes. Okay. So I'm going to have to go back and watch some, rewatch some office. The episode is called Mrs. California. I think it's in season eight ish. I don't know, yeah, but yeah, yeah. yeah, it's freaking hilarious anyway. <sighs> okay. So yeah. So we have this little moment where I hope you guys like, enjoyed that. Cause that was 100% better than this episode. Like Andrea's not lying. Um, yeah. Um, and it makes you anxious in the same way where you're like, who, who do I listen to? <laughs> They end up taking him to see this conference room, which I thought was going to be like the observation lounge, but apparently not. It's like this whole other room because the Lagarins live slash exist in like a slime pot. Yeah. Pit. Mm -hmm. So Jordy and Wesley are preparing the slime pit that's got like bubbles and different colored lights in it. Yeah. It looks pretty cool and it, it looks smells really cool. bad. Yeah. And Sarah look, comes in and looks around the meeting room and starts freaking out that the room is not to his liking. like Because it's not finished. And then they, they convince him to go back to his quarters. And he, as he's walking out, he turns and he says, 93 years of my life has been spent preparing for this meeting because he has formed a personal relationship with the Lagarins and they're finally ready to come to the negotiating table. And this has been, you know, almost a hundred years of relationship building to get here. So he's understandably anxious about this being perfect and everything going right, which by the way, um, seems to me a bit unreasonable to expect things to go perfectly because things never go perfectly. And I Not feel like ever. if you're an ambassador or in a leadership role of any kind, you already know that you already yeah. know things don't go perfectly. They never run on schedule. Things always mess up at the last second. Yeah. You have to have a thousand other contingency plans. So that was kind of like, everything must be exactly perfect. It's like, something's going to go wrong. I mean, we didn't know that you were going to go off the deep end and not have the emotional capacity to handle it. Like that yes. was a surprise, but yes. the fact that there's a chair still in here and a table, they're going to remove that. Like, you know, we're going to do the best we can. I so, do. Okay. One of the things that does bother me is he says, these walls are too bright. And I thought in like, I was trying to put myself in Picard and Jordy's headspace where I was like, what does too bright mean? Like I need to dial the lights down or mm -hmm. the color or tone like the color. is too bright mm -hmm. or like, mm, yeah, I just, 
you know, I don't criticism more specific. Yes, 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 yes. Please give me a little bit more direction. I think we've all had bosses or people like that who are like, X, Y, Z is wrong. Fix it. And you're like, okay, there's 10 different ways I can fix this. Like how, how would you, what are you picturing? I had exactly this job. I had exactly this job, but here's how it would go is my boss would be like, Hey, um, we need to put together, for example, we, we need to have an event. We need to have a meeting on Thursday with whatever, whatever staff. And I'd be like, okay, cool. Um, do you want me to like set up the invite and then like do a flyer or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do, do a flyer. Okay. What exactly do you want on the flyer? Uh, I don't know. Like whatever you want's good. You sure you don't have anything you want specifically on the flyer? No, 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 no. Whatever you want's good. Okay, cool. All right. Here's the flyer. I've made it. Oh, this whole flyer is wrong. You did this whole thing wrong. I really, really that. How, how could I do it wrong if there was no right way to do it? You know what? I'm going to have to redo this entire flyer because you just did this whole thing wrong. Uh, that job, I needless to say, don't work there anymore. Is that um, but the yes. same job you were talking about a few yes. weeks ago when they would just the be same like, job. just it's come the same to a meeting. Job. Do I need anything for the meeting? No, nothing. Okay. Sharice is going to give us a whole 20 minute talk. Yep. <laughs> it's the same job. Every time I talk about a horrible job experience, it's the same job. It's, that <laughs> one. Talking about. it's the only job I had that was like a nightmare from beginning to end. Every other job I've had has been totally normal and fine. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so they leave and, and Picard and Riker are kind of like, okay. And then we just are left with Wesley and Jordy, or, or maybe they had this conversation before they walked in actually, but Wesley and Jordy had this cute conversation about like, Wesley has a date with some really hot girl and Jordy's just like super supportive. And is just like, man, like congrats. And he's like, I'm surprised. And Wesley's like, why you think I couldn't like get a girl like that or something. And he's like, no, I'm surprised you had the courage to actually ask her out. Well done. Mm-hmm. And I just like love the little banter that later on yeah. turns so sour. Yes, it and does. That we never get closure on that. Like where they come together and say, Hey, I'm sorry. Or like, I don't know what came over me. It just is horrible. And then left. See, I think this is, this is the problem here is that Gene Roddenberry wrote in the, in the um, show Bible that like, None of the main characters could have any interpersonal conflict, which is fucking gar- right. like, that's just such a right, garbage right. principle. Like it's very utopian. And also that's not what humans are. Yeah. Super mm-hmm. unrealistic. So when they do have this conflict, we have a very like Roddenberry-esque way of like solving that conflict, which is just for everybody to go, okay, as you were, and just go about their day. Like there's no like, wow, that was strange. What was happening? What we're really talking about here though, is that as soon as Sarah comes aboard, people kind of start acting in very like high charged emotional states that are not normal for them. So, you know, Wes is anxious to like finish up his work to with Jordy to get on this date that he has with that ensign. Mm-hmm. And Jordy's like, well, what's your rush? Like, it's not like anything's going to happen on this date anyway. And then it's like, bah, 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 this back and forth of like, you got something to say about it? Yes, I do. But Riker comes in and sees what's going on. And he's like, is there a problem here? And Wesley and Jordy are both like, no, and just leave. And you never see any kind of resolution. We see the same thing with like Riker and Picard. We mm-hmm. see the same thing with like poor Wesley gets slapped by Beverly, which, you know, mm-hmm. Picard and was, that like, was well, one-sided because Wesley wasn't mad in that one. Like at least with Picard and Riker, they both got pissed with Jordy and Wesley. They both got pissed, but with Beverly and Wesley, Beverly was on edge. And Wesley's just like, Hey mom, don't you think you're overreacting a bit? And she's just like, rah, smack. So like, yeah. that was just like a one-sided rage monster. And we never get, we never get like, I mean, when Beverly smacks Wesley, she immediately goes to Troy to be like, I don't know what just happened, which I thought was a good call. Like she knows she's something's wrong with her brain. And she went to Troy. Like that was a good call. And I also wanted to see her apologize to Wesley. Like I also wanted to see yes. Wesley and Jordy like reconcile. I, 
Picard and Riker, who cares? Like they just had an outburst, whatever. Like that wasn't, no, no one said anything hurtful, but definitely with yeah. Wesley and Jordy, like there were some pretty harsh burns. Yes, like, there were. Wesley was like, well, at least, you know, it's better than curling up with a good book or I can find a woman who's not in the holodeck. And yeah, like, that, okay. Oof, that was, oof. see, I feel like there were like eight or nine times where Wesley could have been Jordy. punched. Oh, yeah. Just burn <laughs> him. And Jordy was just like, well, you're a kid. That's all he could say back. And you're like, oh, oh, just was so painful. You know what? It felt like Jordy versus the pack leads all over again. It was, <laughs> it was just so getting his ass beat over and yeah, over. Yeah, it was. Jordy is just the punching to, bag. I wanted some resolution on that because they're such good friends. And yeah. like everything that they said was really mean. And that's not at all how they really feel about mean. each other. So I just want, yeah, I wanted the scene where they're just like, hey, man, I'm really sorry with what I said. Like, I am happy for you and your date. You know, or like, I'm really sorry for what I said. It's not that you can only get a girl in the holodeck. Like I, I totally was out of line. Like I wanted that and we didn't get that. Instead we get the rest of the episode, which is like so dumb. Like I would have preferred that. What happens when they're fighting is I totally got this Ghostbusters vibe, right? That mood slime in Ghostbusters 2. Do you remember oh, that? Oh, no. Nope. I've okay. never seen Ghostbusters 2. Okay. So have you seen Ghostbusters 1? Yeah. <laughs> it's some guys who, who bust ghosts. So yeah, yeah. Ghostbusters 2. <laughs> I mean, I, I got that part, but <laughs> and Ghostbusters you just, 2. You just turned the, the like, <laughs> you just switched the title. Ghostbusters. <laughs> it's about some guys that bust ghosts. <laughs> I got just that. It, just to make it clear. Because um, we all know what busting ghosts even means. So <laughs> in Ghostbusters 2, there it takes place in New York City, like the first one. And there's this. <laughs> Andrea's still dying about busting ghosts, (laughs) which means nothing, by the way. I love that in this breakdown of Sarah, we've already talked about The Office, Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. And all of that is so much better than this trash pile of an episode. Okay, 100%. 100%. So in Ghostbusters 2, which is way better than this episode, um, there's this like slime that's running underground in New York City. And so the Ghostbusters go to like check it out. And the slime is it's crazy because it comes through people's pipes, it comes out through their sinks, it comes out in their tubs, Fun. but just but just like randomly. And then when people like free and then it's like kind of sentient slime. And yeah. so when people freak out and like go to get help, when they come back, all the slime's gone. So it seems like they're crazy and like the slime's not really there. But the Ghostbusters uh-huh. find the slime, they find like a river of slime underneath the, the city, and they capture some of it. And they go to do some experiments on it. Well, it turns out that it's mood slime. So if you're upset, this slime makes you super pissed, like crazy, violent pissed. And so everybody in New York City is going nuts, which is why the Ghostbusters were called in. Everyone's like, you know, killing each other, shooting each other, crashing into each other's car. I love that they I love that they lean into like the hostile environment that is New York City. (laughs) Well, that's the whole thing. That's why people were having a hard time figuring out, is this different? Like, is this something new? And they're like, yeah, like. (laughs) Crime's way up. Like people are way pissed, but they're like, but people are really pissed. So like people did, you yeah. know, they weren't sure if this was something new. So it turns out the, the slime was feeding on all of their rage and Got amplifying it. it. So it was making New York City like even more dangerous and crazy than was it is. Was it amplifying like people's like happiness and joy and stuff? Or was it like- Turns out rage? it can also do that. But there okay. wasn't a lot of happiness and joy in New York City. So it was just amplifying whatever emotions <laughs> oh were there. Oh my God, okay. It was like the, all the negative ones. So what they find out at the end of the movie is they're like, wait, can we turn this mood, this slime into like having happiness instead? So they have to like figure out, first of all, they figure out that it affects your mood or that it reacts to your mood. And then they're like, let's find a way to make it happy. So they started playing like really happy, upbeat music and like dancing around. And the slime became like happy slime. So if you take the happy slime and you throw it on someone, 
they get into like a really good mood. But if you take like the mad slime and throw it on someone, they're like a bad, like it just amplifies whatever. Yeah, going. got it. Okay. So they, they saw, they saved the day by making like, uh, like a giant water hose basically into like the slime, but they like infuse it with all this happiness. They play tons of music throughout the city. Got like it. they make all this like happiness and then they spray everybody. They just spray the crap out of everybody with this happy goo. And then the end of the movie, people are just like, I love you, man. I lo-. like everybody's like ridiculously happy, like yeah. drunk, yeah. happy. Yeah. And it's, it's like the best scene ever. And it's really funny. But in this part where they're in front of the goo and they're getting super pissed, I was like, it's the mood slime. Like it's Ghostbusters, which I think it could like totally could have been inspired because that movie came out the year before this episode came out. Mm, maybe so- that's why. So I think the, because, mood, the slime pit and the mood thing, I totally think was inspired. Oh my God. See, I, because I haven't seen Ghostbusters too, I never would have drawn that connection, but that is pretty cool. Yeah. We have slime and we have uncontrolled emotional emotions. like charge mm-hmm. and the emotions yeah. running around the enterprise though, seem to be solely like rage, mm-hmm. anger, frustration, disappointment, like all the negative ones. I wasn't seeing anybody like having this like joyful explosion moment, mm-hmm. but whatever. Right. So, you know, we have these, we have these other like moments around the ship where like people are starting to lose their shit. Um, a mm-hmm. couple of them are really funny. Um, well, actually to go back a little bit. So they have this Mozart concert in 10 forward and Sarek and Perrin do end up joining because the captain inv- invites Perrin and she kind of brings Sarek there. And we have this like really shitty CJI tear running down Sarek's face. He had real tears, but then it was also like this little like crystally one that I was like, mm-hmm the blurriest crappiest cgi mm-hmm. and the creepy aid but is such watching mu- such beautiful music though i will say like the music really... was totally beautiful and we got to see data play again which i was happy about <sighs> it was gorgeous it really really was i actually did have a thought i did not bother looking it up but i did have a thought it was like i think that you know data was there playing in the quartet but i feel like the other three performers were, really were actually playing. real real musicians yeah. that are really playing and they overlay so they overlay the music and post production but like the movements like uh, Brent Spiner's hands were hardly moving at all on the violin, mm-hmm. but everybody else's hands were moving what looked to me at least very realistically, like on the cello and the viola and whatever. And I was like, oh, that's mm-hmm. really cool. I bet these are real musicians. They just threw into a Starfleet uniform. And why which- not? They don't have any words, any lines. They don't have to act. Why wouldn't they just get real musicians instead yeah. of getting actors to pretend to be musicians to play music over the like it doesn't make exactly. Sense. Exactly. So I, I believe I was the same way because you could see it in their face and their eyes and the way they held their instruments. Yeah. You're like, this, this, is, is, natural. this is a performer. Yeah. And then yes. you could see data was like. I mean, data looks the part because of the context, yes. but I don't believe Brent Spiner plays, plays the violin or anything. Um, but whatever it was not that I know it, it was beautiful. The beauty, the music was like absolutely gorgeous and it was stunning and it was very emotionally charged, but yes, Sarek starts to tear up and Perrin wipes his tear and they get up and leave. And so do the super creepy aides who follow <laughs> behind him. Luckily, this is a place where Troy is useful. And she senses like something is up between mm-hmm. Sakath, the like creepier of the two creepy aides, The Vulcan one. The Vulcan one and Sarek. And she's like, wait, uh, something's going on between these two. Um, so now we're starting to have these like explosions, like Beverly summons Wesley to tear him up for not coming to the concert. And he's like, but I said, I may swing by, but like, mm-hmm. you know, and since so-and-so wanted to go to the Arboretum and she smacks him. And I thought, God, Picard was probably like, dang it. Why couldn't I have had like the rage outburst in front of Wesley and smacked him? <laughs> she goes to see Troy and Troy's like, I've heard stories like, this oh, and did you notice by the, the way, last few days. sorry, did you notice that the, the mug that Beverly was drinking out of? 
Oh, it was 100% the Boda mug. Yeah, it was the it was. classic Picard Earl Grey hot mug. Yes, and I was like, was. What? I didn't know anybody else ever drank from that mug during this show. So that was amazing. I thought yeah. that was, I thought that was super cool too. I did I, notice that. I like that part, but then it was very distracted. I was very distracted away from it when Beverly started losing it and then actually smacked her son. So yeah. Yes. Right. So then Troy saying, yeah, you're the 10th person I've heard over the last two days to tell me the exact same thing that just like rage came over you out of the blue, had yeah. nothing to do with the situation and you just lost it. Yes. Yes. And data is taking Sakath. Um, the, the Vulcan aide on a tour of the bridge. And he's starting to ask rude questions about Captain Picard's ability to step in, to lead the or diplomatic mission. Ability. Should, mm-hmm. should the need arrive? Uh, yeah. And it's just like, okay. And Jordy and O'Brien get into this heated bar fight yeah. and Riker and Worf end up walking into 10 forward to a full blown fucking bar brawl. It was like, mm-hmm. what is going on? Like, I love that the first thing Beverly checks for is a virus. I was like, yes. thank you. Good old fashioned it. season one, Beverly. We've had viruses make people have drunk sex everywhere. We've we're having people have this like unchecked spread rage. Like let's check for a virus. And I was like, Oh, that's a good move. And they finally end up zeroing in on the fact that Sarek is suffering from Bendai syndrome, which is this syndrome that tends to hit Vulcan's, past the age of 200 and Sarek is 202, which is basically like a loss of control of your emotions. Mm-hmm. It's a neurological disorder that's degenerative and fatal. So and, it's basically Alzheimer's, but for Vulcans. Yes. And instead of losing your memories, like with humans and Alzheimer's, losing your, like kind of your more recent memories and then all the way back to your oldest memories. Instead, yeah. this Vulcan, Vulcans lose the ability to control their emotions, which they've practiced ever since they were born. And they lose that. And apparently Vulcan emotions are supposed to be incredibly volatile. And so they, they like slowly lose control until the point where they can't control it at all anymore. Yeah. And that's really, really sad. Now Picard meets with the first aide, Mr. Menderson, and he's telling him about, you know, we suspect that he's got Bendai syndrome. That's, you know, what sort of like matches up with what's going on out here. You know, Troy was able to detect that. Um, Sakath is kind of using his telepathic ability, which I didn't know he had to like kind of prop up. Sarek, yeah, all Vulcans but, do, but yeah, yeah. yeah what I, I didn't, didn't know, know they were telepathic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All Vulcans are telepathic. They're not empathic, but they're all telepathic. Oh. Um, but oh. what's neat about this is that he could use his abilities to like put a bubble around Sarek's emotions yes. to help him regulate his emotions. That's like totally new. Yeah, I thought that was like really cool. Now, Menderson, as the creepy creep he is, is like, everything is fine. Are you sure you want to level these accusations? Because they're not the droids you're looking for. Yes. Now, if you want your career to have its stellar, you know, whatever it has, like, you know, you might want to think better get to the bottom of this. Yeah, it's like, buddy. Okay. So, luckily, Picard is like, Yeah. Okay. I've seen enough like snake oil salesmen to know that this guy's full of shit. So he sends data to speak to Sakath about his concerns. And it turns out that Sakath has been using his telepathic skills to reinforce Sarek's emotional control, but the more strained that Sarek becomes, the harder it becomes to like help him. Right. Mm -hmm. Like you Mm -hmm. can prop somebody up, but then their other leg goes out from under them and Mm -hmm. then their head rolls back. And it's like, Oh no, Mm -hmm. no, we need more than one person to kind of carry this. And as they're sort of as as Sakath kind of starts to like let data know like something it, yeah i i live to serve Sarek, but i also serve the federation so yeah, yeah this is you know he kind of spills the beans 
Picard and Riker are talking with data about like what they have found and Picard and Riker start this like screaming match. And it was just so cheesy. Every rage outburst aboard the enterprise. I don't know if you noticed Sharice, but was like accompanied by like, like weird music that was like trying to tell us that something was wrong. And I was like, ah, come on. I did not notice that. It was just, I was like, I get it. It's tense. Like I get it. It, it was just super cheesy. I hated this whole episode. <laughs> yep. Sounds good. So we basically find out that this bandy syndrome has been going on for however long this aide has been around Sakoff to like help. Yeah. And nobody has told Sarek. Nobody has told him. That's so fucked up. It's not like that stupid episode too short a season where the guy knew he was dying. Everybody knew he was dying, but he, yeah. I think they didn't. Yeah. I don't know. I forget. They told people where they found out in a scan, but whatever. Like we know something's going on with this dude. Yeah. This is like everyone around him knows what's going on. And not only did they not tell him, but they're straight up lying to everyone else yes. and being like, it's your fault or, or nothing's weird about this. Like they're, they're going above just and beyond. gaslighting people. Yeah. Yeah. Just gaslighting people and Picard's, you know, talking to Perrin and just saying, how do you think this is going to help with the negotiations? How is this going to, it's not going to help to keep lying to him. And she's like, you're mistaken. You don't know what you're talking about. Do you know what a great man he is? All of that has nothing to do with this. Yeah. And I kept thinking like, none of you guys are, you're all thinking I want to protect him. And we want him to go out of this like blaze of glory after these negotiations, but he can't handle the negotiations. So they're going to go terribly wrong. And he won't know why, because he doesn't know anything's wrong. And then really his career is going to end on this really sour note of him then yeah. discovering something's wrong with him. Like yes. this plan is just poised to completely backfire. Thankfully, yeah. while they're talking, Sarek walks in and overhears them. Otherwise, he would have never known anything. And he's like totally unaware. He's just telling Picard like, you know, I'll take a test if you want, like do anything you want. There's no, there's nothing wrong with me. And Picard's uh, like, oh, I hate to be the one to break it to you. Yeah. And, and eventually break- he kind of comes to, to realize. Yeah. It. That's what kind of breaks my heart because everybody knows that he has Bendai syndrome except for him. And I feel like that is such an absolutely unforgivable betrayal. I understand the instinct to protect your loved ones, but just to lie to them, it's a very short-sighted game. It's very uh, nearsighted game. Yeah. Um, In the long run, they're going to find out anyway, and they're going to be extremely hurt that you were lying to them. So it's like, it's just, Mm -hmm. it's just not, it's just not good at all. And Sarek does have this full blown meltdown. He, you know, asks his aides and parent to leave him so he could talk to Picard and he ends up having a completely full blown meltdown. And I love that Picard is the one keeping calm. And he's like, you know, Sarek, a Vulcan would never behave like this. A Vulcan would never like shout Mm -hmm. your anger tone is telling me that you're feeling emotions. You know, he just, he was kind of like, it was in fencing. There's like thrust and parry thrust and parry. Like you're constantly like deflecting Mm -hmm. each other. And he was the perfect person to be the like foil against Sarek's tantrums. Right. Because Mm -hmm. everybody else would have been like, okay, all right, sorry. You know, but Picard Mm -hmm. is the closest person to Sarek's level. Um, And he was able to kind of draw that out. And poor Sarek just ends up screaming, it's illogical, illogical, like over and over again. And Mm -hmm. I felt so bad for this man in like a complete mental breakdown. I was like, Jesus Christ. And I will tell you, like having family members who have different um, mental conditions that are a challenge they don't like people don't always want to listen to that. <laughs> they don't want to like people no. like I will use myself. If I, if someone came and told me that I had some kind of mental condition, that's 
making me see a reality that's different from everyone else's, for example, I'd have a hard time believing that because the yeah. reality that I experience is reality as far as I'm concerned. Yes. So you're telling me that your reality doesn't match mine since when I would have a really hard time too, but I will say as a loved one, it's so difficult to have that conversation and to try to convince somebody of something that they refuse to believe. You can't prove it to them in any way, but you also have to take care of them. It's like really, really hard. And um, I will say that this scene of Picard kind of talking to Sarah and then the later scene where Picard's like um, has absorbed all of Sarah's emotions and stuff. And he's saying what Sarah is thinking, but doesn't say is like, my life has been wasted, like blah, blah, blah. Um, like that was really visceral. That was just really like, oh, this is such a, a sad situation that happens to humans. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like a punishment for getting old, right? Like, yes. if you would have died young, this wouldn't happen, but you would have died young. You wouldn't have lived this long, full life. Yes. It's this like lose, lose situation. Yeah. Like you either die young or you live and are like punished for being, for like surviving so long. It's yeah, it is really sad. And you can't necessarily do what you could do before or things or you can, but people look at you differently. Yeah. There's like an erosion that happens not with all people getting older, but with a lot of people getting older. And so it's something we kind of accept is like, Oh, well, here we go. And you know what about that too? So I had this car for like a long time that I loved, um, and my little Toyota. Mm-hmm. And I remember saying, I'm going to drive this car until the wheels fall off. Like I'm going to drive it until it dies. And in my mind, what would happen is the car would work perfectly for like a good 10 years and then suddenly inexplicably die. It just wouldn't Mm -hmm. start and it would be dead. Turns out that's not at all what happens when a car gets old. (laughs) It breaks down piece by piece by piece until you just will not spend any more money on this car until something vital breaks like the transmission or something. And you're like, this car is only worth a hundred dollars. I'm not replacing the transmission. Like that's, that's where I draw the line, which is exactly what happened to my car. It got to a place (laughs) where it was like, rumbling when I was driving it and shaking all around. I thought it was going to explode on me, which of course it wasn't, (laughs) but that's how I thought. And I was like, okay, I think my car is trying to kill me. It's time for it to go. And that's the same with getting old. It's like in your mind as a young person, you're just like, well, you just live a beautiful, perfect life. And then boop, you're old. And then you die. And then one day, and then one day, like your circuits just turn off and you just don't wake up. It's like, no. And what really happens. Yeah. It's like in your twenties, then your thirties, then your forties. It's just like little by little pieces start breaking. (laughs) That's what really happens. And then all of a sudden your transmission blows and you're like, oh, like it's not, it's, it's, it's a slow, lengthy process. It's not like a sudden thing. It's a slow and terrible erosion. So that's what we have to look forward to. Sharice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's the happy note of the day. So the only way that Picard and Perrin and Sarek are all kind of able to have this little confab and figure out a way to like get Sarek through this Lagaran mission, which by the way, why do we fucking care about the Lagarans? We never hear from them or about them ever again. I mean, I get everybody's. I wonder if they come back on lower decks. That'd be funny. Ooh, that would be funny. And, but, and people yeah, would be like, who's the Lagarans? Slime monsters. <laughs> Who the hell are the Lagarans? And why do we, why do we care about this? So they end up doing a Vulcan mind meld, which very, very TOS, the original series, Star Trek. Um, and they Picard and Sarek do this Vulcan mind meld. And at first Sarek is like, it's too dangerous for you, Picard. Vulcan emotions are incredibly volatile. Mm-hmm. I will have your stability, but you will just have this onslaught of emotions for me. And it's terrible. And you may not be like safe. And of course, Picard is like, mm-hmm, 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 mission accepted. So they do it. And so I have you- a few issues with this mind. Yes. Before please. Move on. Okay. Issue the first. Um, he has a Vulcan aid 
he can do a mind meld with another Vulcan. There is Thank no you. reason why it has to be Picard, except for the fact that we find out that after they do this mind meld, so traditional Vulcan mind melds apparently can do everything. Like they do use a lot of mind melds in Voyager as well. Mind melds can apparently do absolutely anything. In this version of mind melding, we get like a swap, an emotion swap. And I was mm. like, since when do they swap? Because usually it's like memories are swapped or thoughts are, I mean, not swapped, but uh, shared. Memories yeah, are yeah, shared, yeah. thoughts are shared. Um, emotions can be shared, um, but it's more like, you know, getting into someone's mind. But here it's like a full on switch. Like Picard is giving up his like stability and then Sarek is giving up his like crazies. And they're going to swap back at the end. And I was like, since when do mind melt swap? So, and so like two things, one, why didn't they just use a Vulcan Two, Why was there, how, why did it swap? How did it swap? Um, and then three, like, well, I guess this is a good thing, but like he had to have the swap go on for the whole length of the negotiations so he could function mm-hmm. and, and, you know, swap back or whatever. And apparently this was going to last for like three hours or something like that. So it wasn't even like the long. He spent 93 years preparing for this fucking negotiation and it lasted three hours. <sighs> okay. And then Beverly okay. decided like, I'm going to stick with you during this whole period just as a friend. Cause there's nothing really to monitor. There's nothing you can do. Like, and yeah, she tried quartered him a couple of times and then she was like, no, you're fine. You're just, you're just, she's being a good friend. She's like, you're just losing yeah. it. And like, I need to like snap you back to reality time. You know, every once in a while she'll smack the table and be like, Jean-Luc. And you'd be like, well, okay. And then goes back to crying hysterically yeah. or whatever. It's like, no, yeah. haven't we all been there? Haven't we all been Picard? I have. Picard slash Sarek in a mind meld. Haven't we all had that experience? Yeah. <laughs> if you haven't had that experience, let us know. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> don't. Because you're clearly not human. But yeah, we do have, during this Vulcan mind meld, really good, crazy Picard. He mm-hmm. is just a hurricane of emotions. And let me just also say, we're using the word crazy in like a flippant kind of a fun way. Yeah. Um, but we're like, we're in no way denigrating mental health because you guys know we are like all about mental health. Um, so we're just like throwing around the word crazy, but really it's, it's really an onslaught of emotions is what he's experiencing. Yes. And it is epically performed. Like you feel Patrick like, Stewart. Oh my, gosh, oh my God. It. I mean, you feel his pain and yes, I agree with you completely saying crazy sounds incredibly flippant. And that is not the way we mean it. Um, yeah. Cause we said it a couple of times and I say it all the time for everything, but I don't yeah. mean it that way. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 not, <laughs> not at all. Clear. Not at all. Yeah. Mental health is incredibly important. Um, which I couldn't agree with more right now, but, um, yeah, it, it really is this like overwhelming onslaught of emotions. It really is a breakdown of the ability to regulate emotions or process mm-hmm. those emotions. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's a, it's a lot. And Patrick Stewart is so just seamless. He makes, he is one of those pros that makes the impossible look so easy. Mm-hmm. I wonder if you have that gave that script to like a hundred other actors and you see the same script and the same, you know, emotions being portrayed, it would just look so intolerable in about 98 other mm-hmm. performers. But Patrick Stewart absolutely nails it. It's not, it's overdone in the sense that those emotions are overblown, but the performance mm-hmm. is not overdone. It's absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. It and really everything is. he talks about is what you could imagine someone might be thinking or feeling if they just discovered they had Alzheimer's, right? He yes. has this line where he says, all I am now is just a bunch of dry bones with dead friends. And it's just like, oh, oh that's like, so you sad. know, just reaching an, a point where like you've outlived all your friends mm-hmm. and now your mind is going to, he said something about his work just being a waste now, like everything's been wasted. And, 
everything he's saying feels really poignant and timeless. Yeah. And sad. It was really sad. It really, really was. Um, but apparently it all worked out because in the next, like in the second officer's log or the first officer's log, Riker says like Sarek was able to successfully conclude the diplomatic mission, the end. And now we're at this other planet and he's beaming away. So again, it's a total MacGuffin. We never see the Lagarians. Mm-hmm. Nothing ever happens. And when they all say goodbye, you know, Perrin thanks the captain for doing what he did. Sarek thanks the captain for doing what he did. And he does say, like, I expect we won't see each other again. And that was really sad. Like, that sounds like somebody preparing. His symptoms are going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. It's not like he's got two weeks. And so it's like, oh, yeah. it's going to be drawn out with, like, the disintegration, which is super duper heart uh, heartbreaking and painful. And overall, I'm going to say I hated this episode. Yep. (laughs) Actually, I didn't say I hated it. I said, I don't love it. (laughs) I don't love this episode. Mm. I can't say, I can't say hate because there are some episodes that I freaking hate, like passionately despise. This is not one of of honor or justice, (laughs) like code of honor or justice. We're like, I passionately actively despise those. Yes. You know what? I I don't despise. I just never want to see it again. It feels this episode feels season three. Like just, the first episode of season three, not like no, no, no. It, it feels okay. no, it feels like a season three. Like it feels like it it would fit in season three. Okay, the the content is better. The script is not super fucking cheesy like season one and like most of season two. It feels season three, but also I just don't connect with this episode, um, with what's happening. So I don't love it. Um, I don't ever need to see it again. <laughs> But I think you're right. Like, I don't like it. I don't like this episode. I feel the need to like not ever watch it again, but I also don't actively hate it. Like too short a season, which I want to like rip its head off. <laughs> oh my gosh. That episode, $10,000 wheelchair. Get right. out of here. What a or waste. That stupid, the episode, the Royale, when they're trapped in the, in the hotel and you're just like, Oh, this episode. Oh, so that episode gives yeah. me like the growls. Like I hate right. that episode. And this isn't like that. It's not <sighs> like, I, yeah, I don't actively hate this episode, but I don't love it. And I'm never going to watch it again. So, so there, that's, that's our, <laughs> that's our final, you know, I did think to myself, I was like, if I didn't, like, I love our podcast. I really do. <laughs> but I was like, if I didn't have this fucking podcast to watch this episode for, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't be subjected to this shit. Like I was yes. just so annoyed. And on that note, I say the same thing about next week's episode verbatim because that's another one I skip, but I actively skip that one. So we're gonna yeah, yeah, yeah. Sarek, I'm like, mm, I remember that being crappy. So I skip it. But the next week's episode, Menage a Troy, I actively hate. So that's <laughs> gonna be fun. <laughs> On that note, we'll see you next week. <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys. Bye. Bye. Thanks for geeking out with us. Be sure to join the crew at the TNGpodcast.com to be the first to know when we do our live shows or host events exclusively for our members. We'll see you next time.